less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep Dive. Welcome back, Martin, to the Cash Flow Contractor. Glad to be here, especially since it's my office. It is your office. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think this video thing's working out. I think we've got it pinned down. We're live on YouTube right now. Uh, I don't know that we're always going to be live, but uh, you'll be able to watch videos well, on YouTube. The next time you watch this, it won't be live. That's true. That's so, true. And so, we're not going to be always alive because it all comes to an end. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, yeah, you're going to get to see that, like, I, Martin, you've got a haircut later today? Yeah, later today. Later it's today. Not cut yet. So, yeah, you're getting full Martin here. I need to – I'm bald, so – you haven't seen a picture of me. I got to shave on the sides because it's the top's looking really yeah, slim. I got a and picture of you. I think we need to share of Khalil uh, with dreadlocks. Dreadlocks. He's a Rastaman. Yeah, used Rastaman. to. Then I started losing my hair and yeah. can't have dreads with no hair. Oh, you can glue them on, man. Yeah. I got one of those hats with dreadlocks, but <laughs> it's politically incorrect, so I don't wear it. Yeah, I need to trade my, save my mustache or trim it uh, as well. I'm trying to go for that for a little bit because you used to have a mustache, right? Yeah, barely remember. <laughs> Barely Back remember. in the 80s? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it, I was not a mustache guy. Yeah. You said Ted Lasso shouldn't be either? Yeah. Oh, I, well, that's part of what makes him goofy. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously Isn't part that of just one costume. of the best shows? It's the best show I've... <laughs> people were telling time. me to watch it, and finally my daughter sent me a link and that made it easy. Yeah. And uh, holy cow. And I was pissed when the season got over and there's no other season <laughs> oh what the heck well, anyway they're it's doing, so good they're doing two more but two more seasons yeah oh they officially oh, yeah. signed it yeah one comes diane looked it up um one comes out in july or something like that wow so we got yeah. a while yeah man it's such a if you haven't watched it it's good it's a foreign language film too <laughs> Uh, they speak english with whatever cockney accents and yeah. upscale accents and all the different from britain English accents and mm-hmm. we Diane and I lady, what do you say? I don't know. You need the subtitles. Yeah, it, really. Yeah. Really. I've watched it with subtitles for sure. Well, uh, speaking of subtitles. Oh, I'm interested in this segment. <laughs> what are you gonna say? How how can we compare subtitles to your income statement? If you're if you if you're running your if you're running your business like w- without an income statement that you're really looking at to make decisions then it's almost like watching a foreign film that you don't know the language and you're trying to figure it Ooh. out. Did you think about that? Did I just you did. just make that I up? I just made that up. Wow. So I was thinking of a quote. Just turn on the, the subtitles, other, right? Heard, yeah, turn on the subtitles. I guess now we're on YouTube, we can have that. Yeah. <laughs> now, I heard a great quote the other day. I don't remember who said it, but it said, if your books are a mess, so is everything else. Mm. And uh, that's a little bit harsh. I think I know people, I, well, I don't think I know. I know people who've, run successful businesses, mod- modestly successful for a long time without without books, but right. they're suffering a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Making and, it harder than it needs to be, just like watching a foreign film right. without subtitles. You're right. like, you're guessing, you're trying to figure it right. out. No, Man, we got a whole yeah. tagline there. It's like I mean, the subtitles. Yeah, watching a French movie. <laughs> Pictures are informative, but you lose the plot. Mm-hmm. No, and, and the people who do run what we'll call successful, maybe profitable, long-time businesses without books are really uh, going against our credo, which is less, less stress, more time, more money. <laughs> they're suffering needless stress. They're suffering needless use right. of their time, and they're not making as much money as they could. Yeah. 
for sure. So obviously you're the expert on this and I have some experience, but not nearly as much as you do. You literally wrote the book on this called People, The Prophet. Yeah. Called the profit problem. So check that out in the show notes. Yeah, show notes. Click the link. (laughs) Little plug there. So we've already given our overview of the financial statements to this point. So we're just talking about the PL. What are some just really key points just that we're going to cover in the the bulk of this podcast so people have an overview of this podcast episode? What are some key things that you want to talk about? Well, the first thing is P&L's profit and loss, also called the income statement. Right. Um, those are the two main terms, so you know what we're talking about. Uh, everybody I've ever met in business has an intuitive understanding of the need to compare income, sales, money coming in, right. versus money going out. Right. And everybody does that. Everybody listening. They look at is, their bank account. Pardon? They just look at their bank account. Well, they look at their bank account, or they also, a little more sophisticated even than that, they're driving around thinking, well, so-and-so owes me this, mm-hmm. and so-and-so probably will pay me that, right. and then I've got to pay payroll this month, and I got to owe, I owe my supplier 35 So they're running around with this in their heads, this mental gymnastics. That's why they're frazzled. They're not paying attention to the things they should because mm-hmm. they're trying to keep track of that. And the other thing is they're almost invariably wrong. The guys who survive in business are pretty good at it, they have a pretty accurate picture. Yeah. Most of us don't. You just forget, oh crap, I forgot I owe the mortgage payment this month, yeah. right? And most of the businesses I work with, and, uh, I think it's fair to say, well, I know it's fair in my experience. They don't know if they made money last month. Mm-hmm. They don't know if they made money the month uh, quarter. Right. They don't know if they made money last year until they go get their taxes done in September of the following year and their accountant right. says, hey, you made all this money, or didn't, but say you made all this money, and then that's the second thing we'll talk mm-hmm. about as we go on. They say, well, if I made so damn much money, where is it? Yeah. And so uh, people intuitively understand the need for an income statement, everybody. Yeah. We, I mean, we talked about, you, you mentioned a lot of people don't know if they made a profit last month, and I think what's really key to point out is, we, we talked about this with Lori Yearwood in her episode, whatever episode that is will be in the show notes, but we talked about uh, the profit first with Mike McCallowicz. And that's a great system for making sure that you do have a profit uh, at the end of each month. But it's not going to show you the details. And you're not going to get that by just looking at the bank statements or just looking right. at profit first. You really have to have your these three financial statements that we're covering, but the income statement as well to right. get the details, to understand where your efficiencies are, your inefficiencies are, how you can improve, all those kinds of things. So... You have five questions that you like to start out with. Let's well, go. Well, we, we talked about them last uh, yeah. in the overview, but let's just there, restate. There are five questions, really six, but there are five questions that your financial statements answer, mm-hmm. and every business needs to know the answers to these questions. And they are: Am I making money? What do I own? What do I owe? What's left over for me if I paid everybody off? Mm-hmm. And then where did my cash go? The sixth question, and we'll just touch on it today because it's a little complicated just to, to do just by speaking. But the the sixth question, and one of the most important ones, is what should I do? Mm. In other words, uh, it's real interesting to know what the score of the NBA game was last night. But if you're a coach, what do we need to work on so that we can affect the score in the next NBA game? Exactly. And that's where business owners need to work. You mm. need to know what the score is. Yeah. But if you don't like it, you need to know what to do about it. 
And you don't get that from Profit First, which is a cash management system. Exactly. It's kind of a Dave Ramsey envelope method mm -hmm. uh, for managing your household where you put your monthly check into envelopes for rent, food, entertainment, clothes, mm -hmm. whatever. And when that envelope's empty, you're done. Yep. Well, if you don't have any structure in your business, that's a great method. And I have a lot of clients who use it and it helps them control their cash, helps them make decisions like if I don't have the money, I'm not doing it. Uh, but it doesn't give you insight. It doesn't give you insight to pricing, where your money's going and what you can do about it. Yeah. Uh, so there are a lot of things that, uh, it doesn't tell you how much you have to sell to break even. It doesn't help you with your bidding. Um, and you need more sophisticated books to do that. Yeah. And the other point that I make, make it in my book, and I think I talked about it in the overview episode, is that bookkeeping with a profit loss balance, balance sheet have been around for about 800 years. And they're unchanged. unchanged. Well, let's tell the story of that. I don't think we told the story of how that started the 800 years ago. Well, uh, a guy named Luca Pacioli in 1494 in Venice is the guy who first wrote out the rules of double entry bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. And I don't want people to stress over us talking about that. Nobody here suggests that you, contractor, owner, <laughs> have to keep your books. Matter of fact, you shouldn't keep your books. Yeah. But you need to make sure somebody does. And mm -hmm. you need to know what good books are used for and what they look like so you can get them right. But anyway, Luca Pacioli, 1494, Venice, Italy, came up with double entry bookkeeping. Uh, well, he didn't come up with it. He wrote it down. It had been around about two years, 200 yeah. years prior to that. So you're talking plague time. Right. Uh, so every time we kind of think of our ancestors being these heathens and unsophisticated, <laughs> man, they're, they're pretty sharp. Absolutely. And they're doing it all with a pen on parchment paper. and Which takes so much adding, more knowledge. Adding numbers and, up yeah. uh, in their heads or on a side piece of paper. Didn't have calculators. Didn't have computers. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's endured unchanged it's not been changed yeah and the reason is because it answers the questions and it's completely suitable for business and businesses that want to take their business owners who want to take their businesses seriously have to have good books yeah and we'll we'll talk about more and more reasons for that so with those five questions am i making money what do i own what do i owe what's left over for me where did my cash go the profit and loss statement, the income statement, is going to help us answer the first one only, it, right? It does answer the first one. Right. right. So am I making money? What are some of the common problems that you're seeing with people whenever they're trying to answer that question? Well, uh, people listening might have books and occasionally have looked at their profit and loss from last month or last quarter, last few months, and they what? I mean, one thing that I see all the time, almost, almost invariably with contractors is, we look at their profit loss statement one month and it shows a big profit for them. <laughs> you know, I made a yeah. half million dollars in right. the first six months. And then you look three months later and you've lost 200,000 for the year, mm -hmm. $700,000 swing. Mm -hmm. Well, you do that for a year or two and pretty soon you just give up. You just say, well, I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to give it all to my accountant in January and let them figure it out. And then as I said earlier in September, I'll find out if I made money. <laughs> well, you can't wait till September of the following year to find out if you made money last month. You need to know what's going on so that yeah. you can affect it. It's, it's almost like playing that NBA game or the season and not looking at any of the stats until the season's over. Right. Well, <laughs> you could have improved. Well, you know, in the NBA, you might have known you lost some games in, right. uh, or won some. 
if you don't keep track and don't keep your books right, uh, you don't even know that. <laughs> and I mean, I see it all the time. People yeah. just say, well, I got tired of looking. Mm -hmm. One month I'm up. I had one client who uh, had been in business 26 years. And I, when I asked them, I, when I looked at their books, which they, they kept books every day. And when I looked at their books, they were losing money. And I said, did you know you're losing money? And the owner said, yeah, and we've been losing money for 26 years. I said, what? And he said, how do you think a business survives 26 years losing money every month? And he said, the good Lord, he really did. He said, the good Lord provides. And I <laughs> said, well, yes, he does. And your books ought to provide, uh, provide you some show that, yeah. you know. So uh, they just quit looking at their books. Now, in actual fact, had they looked at various times, it would have shown some ups. And th there's a reason that they had uh, the issue that they had where their books were always were wrong. Always wrong. Yeah. But you have to know what that is and not have it. You need to get accurate statements. And it, it I just can't, it's universal. Mm. Just everybody I talk to, Yeah. they don't use their financial statements or if they give me a, an idea, did you make money last month? Yeah. How do you know? Well, there's a lot of money in my bank account. Well, have you paid your credit cards, you paid your suppliers, you paid mm -hmm. your monthly uh, real estate payment, have you paid on your line of credit? You know, so they, they don't know. Right. So. I think another important point to make, well, well, we'll talk about that whenever we have good books. So if we have bad books, what do we need to do? If we have a bad profit and loss statement, if we don't feel like it's accurate, how do we need to set it up? What are, what are the next steps? Okay. Well, you have to understand why. And there are two really common reasons for that, which we talked about. I think we introduced the subjects. Lori did. Right. Lori Yearwood did. Right. Nobody else. But there are two common reasons that your books are wrong. Mm -hmm. And one of them is cash basis accounting. Yeah. Cash basis accounting is basically your check register. Mm -hmm. You don't record a transaction until you've been paid or until you paid somebody. So if you do a $100,000 job and you haven't, and you invoice it, but you haven't been paid, it doesn't show up in your books. Mm -hmm. So that income is missing. Um, same goes for expenses. If you Pay a, or if you charge something at your suppliers at the supply house, but you haven't paid the bill yet, it's not there. So you think of all the possible combinations of all the jobs you've got going, some paid, some not paid, some of the expenses paid, other expenses not paid. You, you, you never know where you stand. Yeah. There's another real common problem is people get uh, down payments or deposits. And maybe you get $20,000 down, 20% deposit on a $100,000 job. Well, you put that in your bank account <laughs> and you call it sales. Right. Well, there's a whole lot of income, but there's no expense against it. So it dis distorts your income statement. So you don't need, it's good to know those reasons, cash basis accounting and things like deposits, which is a, uh, a another issue I'll talk about here real quickly. But if you know why that is, somebody, not you, mm -hmm. but somebody can correct those entries at the end of every month so you can see an accurate. Yeah. Uh, and, the second thing, so cash basis accounting, you, you're ignoring anything until it's actually been paid or until you've paid somebody. The other common issue is matching issues, and that's kind of the deposit issue. If you uh, get a deposit one month but don't do any work, don't get started, you show an up month. The next month, you go out and you do all the work and you buy all the stuff, so you got a big down month. Then yeah. the third month, you get paid the balance, except for the retainage, so you got an up month again. Well, again, a whole bunch of jobs all at different stages. It's so complex we can't even talk about it. I mean, yeah. you, you just have no idea. And I'd quit looking at my statements too. I, I mean, I do it every week. 
And matter of fact, I used to be a little passive about it. I'm very, I think it's very important to have good books. I always have. Mm-hmm. It's a place to start to gives you some facts yeah. rather than just emotion mm-hmm. with which to deal and then to gauge. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about how to use it a little bit later. But I used to be a little passive in that. I yeah. said, well, let's work on it. Now I'm I'm over that. Mm-hmm. It's to get your damn books right. Yeah, just freaking do it. Mm-hmm. And the, your specific question was, how do you go about it? Well, I answered one way: understand why. Sure. Don't understand, have to understand how to fix it. But then go find a an accountant. Yeah. Uh, or a quality bookkeeper. But they're, they're hard to find, <laughs> both of them. And I'm not talking about a tax accountant. A yeah. tax accountant is worried about what happened in the past, right? Yeah. Because, and they're also worried about just keeping you out of, well, some of them are worried about keeping you out of trouble. <laughs> out of Others couldn't care less, honestly. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're following and doing your accounting to meet some rules so they can report to the government. That is not the information you need. Mm-hmm. You need books set up in a special way, which is a bit much for us to talk about right at this time, but you need it set up so that you get the information you can use as a manager to make decisions about the future. Mm-hmm. So you have to find the right kind of accountant and you are going to spend some money. Yep. And what you're doing is spending the money that you should have been spending all the years you didn't have good books. Right. Probably won't be that much, but it might be more than that. Yeah. But it's worth it. And I'll just give you a quick example because this is still COVID time and second round of PPP yeah, yeah. came out. People with good books, this last round of PPP, you had to care, compare two quarters. Mm-hmm. If you were down more than 25%, you were eligible. If you weren't, you weren't eligible. Well... <laughs> If your books are terrible, you're not you going to know. Yeah, and I, I, I'm thinking of one guy right now. Yeah, uh, he just goes, "I'll oh, forget it." Well, uh, I mean, he's I'm, just walking away from about forty-five thousand dollars. This guy, because he can't, he couldn't justify it. Yeah, I mean, I, I know one individual or one company that, with this round of PPP, like they actually had a better 2020 by like forty percent than 2019. Like they did great during the COVID year. But one they quarter. did have one quarter right. that was a 26% down. And all you needed was 25% in one quarter in one quarter decrease right. in, in revenue. And just the way the money came in, those kinds of things, and they were able to show it. And we're just presuming everybody knows what a quarter is. That's three months. <laughs> For some reason, we've uh, business and finance frequently divide in January, February, March, April, May, January, Correct. by quarters. Gives yeah. a little bigger view, a little better view. And you can also have like rolling quarters, which are a little bit right. different. It's just any three months. Right. It's really well, just 90 days. let's get your books before you start worrying about rolling quarters, <laughs> right? But you need to be able to look right. at your statement and say, I made money or I didn't make money. Mm-hmm. Boom. That's assuming people pay you and things like that. But yeah. The two principal reasons that you can't do that are cash basis accounting mm-hmm. and matching problems, which is, I don't know if I actually fully define that, but... Matching problem is recording expense in the same period in which the revenue right. occurred. It's the opposite of what people do that put the deposit in this month, do all the work next month, get the, the final payment the third month, and so you're going up and down and up, up and, and down. down. There's some down. simple methods that accountants or good bookkeepers can do to correct for that. It's, yeah. it's, it really is simple. Yeah. And at least once a, once a month. Yeah, By the 15th of the following months, you can look back and say, I made money. Exactly. Or I didn't make money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we understand 
you know, that books are important for the PL to be accurate. Right. But let's just say now that we we do have a PL that is accurate because we have good books, what are some of the things that we're gonna be able to look at? Let's maybe even talk about just the order of the PL really okay. quick. Well, maybe I ought to define these two, but a, a PL compares income to expense, as I said earlier. Right. People are pretty clear about what income is. That's money coming in from sales. That's Correct. not money that you put in the business. Um, now, if you're just looking at your bank account and you contributed ten thousand dollars, mm-hmm. you don't know that that's that that's a contribution rather than income. But most people are pretty clear about what income is. It's from sales. Mm-hmm. It's uh, if you well, we'll just leave it at that. Expenses, on the other hand, I frequently see people mess up. Correct. Expenses are, are money that you spend in the effort to get sales. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you also spend money to buy assets in the effort to get sales. Okay. So like a truck or a piece of equipment. Uh, the line between assets and uh, and expense is a little bit subtle. Like should it should you if you've got a really expensive server computer in your office, uh, say it costs ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Is that an asset or is it an expense? <laughs> well, you want it to be. Well, let me define the difference. Um, assets and expense, expenses are both costs. Everybody knows the meaning, air quotes, but we're getting yeah. that on camera. Everybody knows what a cost is, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> they, they kind of do. Yeah. Well, a cost is an outlay of funds or the promise to pay funds later if you charge it, made in anticipation of a future benefit. In business, that future benefit is sales. Okay, if the benefit is completely used up in the current accounting period, it's an expense. If it extends beyond that, it's an asset. asset. Let me explain what I'm talking about. If you're driving to see a customer, the fuel that you burned in the truck is used up and it's an expense for that month. Sure. $100 tank of gas. Sure. The truck is an asset because its benefit's gonna extend out for three years or maybe five or something like that. Right. Now, a portion of the truck is used up and that's uh, acknowledged by an by a depreciation. depreciation, Yeah. which again, you don't need to mess with, that's for your accountants, yeah. but that's the distinction. So why did I bring that up? Because when people are recording expenses, things that I see is a credit card payment <laughs> will be in there as an expense. Well, look at it this way. If the thing that you bought with a credit card may or may not have been an expense, okay? Like you sure. use it to buy that computer. Yeah. Well, well, use it to buy pencils. Sure. The pencils are an expense. Well, then you go pay the credit card off later on. You've just you're paying that, ex- that expense twice. Yeah, you're recording it twice right. as an so expense. So I see that. I see uh, car payments, payments mm-hmm. to the bank, all these things listed in expenses. And those are not expenses. And if you're confused about that, you don't need to worry about it, but it needs to be seen by a competent accountant or bookkeeper who can put them in the right place. Uh, So, and this is is really important, especially whenever you are a solopreneur, you're the only owner, you know, your partners and you guys are running your personal lives out of the business too. A lot of these expenses really don't belong and it's going to throw off your P&L completely. That's a completely different It is, but it's it's important (laughs) to mention because we know it's happening. Right. Well, some... Yes, it gives you a distorted view, and I, and I have a, a statement to make about that because I've seen it so many times. If you're doing off-book stuff, what you're doing is cheating. Yep. Okay? I'm not going to call you a criminal or a liar or anything like that, but you're cheating at the game. Mm-hmm. 
So if you got to cheat at the game and you're successful, you're successful because you cheated. I say do things right. Doesn't mean you can't be aggressive. Be aggressive, you know. Sure. But do things right. And then if you find you need to make more money, do what you need to do to make more money so you do even better and you're never looking over your shoulder. Yep. Just do things right. And there are always shortcuts it, that lead it, to dead ends. It's more than not having to look over your shoulder and wonder if the IRS is going to audit you because likely they're not. Right. Now, if they do, it's uncomfortable. But sure. But it's an abundance mindset. Yeah. I'm going to play this game by the rules, mm -hmm. and I'm going to get good enough that I win by the rules. And it's an abundance mindset. It's I've seen it happen so many times when people transform to taking jobs on the side and mm -hmm. running their entire household through the the business through the business. If you want to set up a different business to do that, that's fine. But well, and then as you, the reason we're talking about that is it, it does another thing. It distorts the information right. that you need exactly uh, to make business decisions. So, um, so we know the definitions of income and expense for the okay. most part, and I know those are get maybe getting way into the weeds for some people that are like, hey, I've got a bookkeeper that handles this, right? But now that we have an understanding how what's the layout at, at the top okay. of our profit and loss statement we're going to see and we'll have a picture of one in the show notes right. that people can look at but at the top we're going to see our income right right okay well what you see what i see most often more than half the time is that all the income's at the top because if you use quickbooks or nobody's using paper anymore quickbooks or some other software like that that's where it puts it right you have income at the top so there's your pluses at the top Sure. And below that, you have expense. <laughs> and everything from your rent to the materials you bought to your job labor to subcontractors, all that stuff, it's just Expenses. expense. So you take the income on the top and you subtract the total expenses and what's left over is either a profit or loss. Obviously, if income's more than expense, it's a profit. Right. Okay. If it's less, it's a loss. That is a marginally useful uh, <laughs> income statement. It's like your bank account. Right. It's... Well, it it's might a little be a little more, more because you, you've got some accrual stuff in there. But, sure. But you're right. It's marginally useful, but at least it gives you a number. Hey, I brought in this, assuming you didn't use, use cash basis and you mm -hmm. uh, got your matching right. It would tell you if you made a profit last month. Yeah. Okay. That's marginally useful. It's helpful to know because if you didn't, you got to do something and so on. But the way books should be arranged is where there, well, what I didn't say, I need to say now, is there are two kinds of expense. There are variable expenses and there are fixed expenses. Mm -hmm. And even just as described by the names. Variable expenses are expenses that go up and down with sales. So if you double your sales, you double your variable expense. If you have no sales at all, mm -hmm. you have no variable expenses. Right. Those are things like material, subcontract labor, salesmen's commissions, mm -hmm. maybe freight, some things like that. But right. if you don't have the activity, Right. You don't have those expenses. So that's variable expenses, also known as cost of goods sold, cost of sales. Yeah. Indirect uh, expenses. No, direct. Things. Or direct. Direct yeah, costs. Direct yeah. expenses. Yeah. Those are used different ways too. But, but anyway, there are expenses that go up and down with sales right. in proportion. Okay. Then you have fixed expenses, which is also known as uh, overhead, overhead SG&A. Right. Indirect costs. Yeah, indirect costs. They're your rent, they're your salary, they're your office staff salary, they're insurance, your cell phones, legal. insurance. It's stuff that you're going to have every month, whether you sell anything or not. 
Right. Now, let me acknowledge right off the top that if you don't sell anything for a number of months, your overhead is going to go away, too, because you're going to quit business. <laughs> but the assumption is we're doing business, we're going forward, right. and these are expenses that remain the same. Right. Okay. For the most part, they may fluctuate because you're growing and you right. may have more salaries, but right. it's consistent. You you owe them whether mm-hmm. or not you make a sale. Correct. Okay. Indirect costs or variable costs you don't owe unless you make a sale. Right. Okay. So why does that matter? Well, when you have sales and you take off your variable costs, you have what's left over called gross profit. So mm-hmm. you have your contract in sales mm-hmm. and you take off your subcontractors and you take off your direct labor guys who work for you who are working out there you take off the salesman's commission the materials take off the materials uh take off well we mentioned something else but anyway all of those things out of a hundred dollars worth of sales after you take off fifty dollars which would be a really good margin but <laughs> take off fifty dollars worth of variable cost there's only fifty dollars left for you for gross profit for gross profit correct but, but for you to use and you use that $50 to pay your overhead. Yep. And once all the overhead is paid off, it begins to accumulate as profit. As net profit. Net profit. Correct. Yes. So what's important to know about that is if, if for every dollar you sell, you have 50 cents worth of variable costs mm-hmm. and a 50, per, 50 cent gross profit, the margin is 50, 50%. In other words, of my sales Gross profit dollars, margin is 50%. Right. If I sell 100, I only have 50. If I sell one, I only get 50 cents. That is the most important number in business operations, that you know that. That enables you to bid. It it just does all sorts of things. But one of the things that enables you to do first is to know your break-even. Yep. So if you've got your overhead, and that's $10,000 a month or $100,000 a month, Mm -hmm. you divide it by your margin, which in the case in our example is 50 cents or 50%, mm-hmm. I've got to sell $200,000 worth of jobs just to pay my overhead, <laughs> okay? And the way I got that was I took $100,000 worth of overhead and I divided it by 0.50, 50% margin. That gives you $200,000. Yeah. And I haven't made a penny. And I stress that all the time because a lot of people think they go to work every day and, and everybody makes a little money. I'm making a little money. My employees are making their wages. You know, my suppliers are making some money. My landlord's making his rent. My banker's making his interest. Everybody's making a little money every day. No, 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 freaking no. (laughs) You don't make anything until you've first paid all your overhead. Yeah. And if it takes you, our example in this case was uh, until you sell $200,000 worth. And the, the point I make in my book is if you don't break even until the 29th of the month, you'd better not go fishing on the 30th because that's your last day to actually make a profit before all those monthly expenses reset and start over next month. Yep. Right? So the first number people need to know is their overall break even. Mm-hmm. How much do I have to sell to break even at the margins I have? You cannot know that if you don't know what your margins are. Yeah. Okay? The, the, the next step is what I need to break even and cover my debt service. Okay, so first, all debt is repaid out of profit. Debt is in fact an advance on future profits. Right. If debt's not an expense, you gotta make a profit and use part of that profit to pay back the money you borrow. So if you have $100,000 a month worth of expenses 
and $10,000 worth of debt payments to your truck and your mortgage payment, not, not your credit cards, but if you just have 10,000 worth of regular recurring debt payments, you have to make 110,000 every month to break even on your overhead and your debt service. <laughs> so now right. you're at 220,000, which right. is 110,000 divided by 0.5. You have to sell 220,000. Okay, well, I'm not in business just to swap dollars between my vendors and my landlord and, and my debt people. I wanna make a profit on top of that. So you set a target, which you can choose, but just set another $10,000 target. So now you've got 100,000 worth of overhead, 10,000 worth of debt payment, and 10,000 I wanna make as a profit that I can actually someday reap the benefits of. Right. So I'm at 220,000 divided by, or 120 divided by 0. 0.5 is 240,000. Right. I, you have to know that. Yep. It you makes it easier. That. It makes you, it allows you to go into the, to the month, to the year, knowing what you need to accomplish. Right. It gives you a target. Right. Um, and I, I think something that I want to bring up at this point is, you know, you're going into the details of these expenses and people are like, gosh, that sounds like a lot. Figuring out my materials, figuring out my inventory, figuring out my hours that I'm working on this job. Yes, it's a lot, but not just in your expenses, same thing in your income. If you can really categorize that income, right. things that are coming from reimbursements, things that are coming, um, that are recurring revenue, things that are just one-time revenue, if you can really categorize you know, this type of job versus that type of job, if you can really get that stuff in the granular, it allows you to do something special with your efficiencies. It allows you to go in and say, well, that's what I need to fix. Right, and let's, let's be specific on that. There are jobs out there that you bid and got 25% margins. Yep. Uh, if you're out there and you're making 50% margins and it's true, you're doing really, really, really well. I'll yep. just tell you this. It's a global statement, but my target for most of my clients is to start, let's try to get to 40%. Yeah. Okay. But let's, all the numbers I said, you had to sell 240,000 mm -hmm. at 50% margin to, to meet those targets of overhead, debt service, and $10,000 profit. If you have a 25% margin, double that. Yeah. Now you got to do 480,000. Yep. So you start paying attention to margins. And here's a fact that I, I may have mentioned before, but when you know your margins, the average company in the United States, if it could get its margins up 1%, mm -hmm. will increase its net profit, the bottom line, by 14.5%. <laughs> okay? Now, when I say get the margins up, I mean, if you have 50, you get it to 51. If you have 40, you get the 41% of sales. That's yours to keep. So the, the reason I quote that all the time is a simple, it, we just ask and we have asked, it, can you get 1% better? Absolutely. And if your freaking answer is no, then turn your damn radio off and go home. <laughs> right. Because, well, that's harsh. Hell yes, you can do it. You can do it this afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. You can do it. And once you've done it, do it again. <laughs> keep it going. Just keep going. So it isn't getting the $10 million job or, or winning this project or that project. or It's being 1%. Get 1% better. So how to actually use the books where you're talking about. You look at your materials. And let's say how that 50% that went to materials, labor, subcontractors, commissions, and so on. Let's say you look at your materials and you go, my materials are 30% of my cost of goods sold. They mm -hmm. make up 30% of that money I gotta pay out on the job. Huh, can I get it to 29? Yep. Well, let me tell you where to look, guys. 
look in the back of your damn truck and yeah. look in the back of your shop because all that material you bought for the last job that's still here and you didn't take back or you didn't do a good job of buying or you bought some extra because, quote, air quotes again, will you use them later? <laughs> but they wind up on the floor in the corner and somebody drives over them with a forklift and they're wasted. Once you're looking for 1%, if the goal is 1%, you can look at your materials and go, huh, how can I get 1% better? Yep. And if you can't figure it out, call me. Seriously. I mean, I'd be happy. I mean, there's so many stories of that. I mean, how many guys' business have you walked into and it's like, well, that's the problem right there. Well, Michael Barnett, who... Who's on, yeah. Who's been on, you know, we walked into his shop and I said, you got any inventory in his book? Well, I'd seen him. No, he didn't. We walked into his 8,000 square foot floor to ceiling. I said, well, what's all this? He goes, well, that's our inventory. (laughs) That's not on your books. It's all been charged out to jobs. Well, that might be clever because, ooh, I charged it out to jobs and I don't have to pay taxes on the profit. But you got it sitting there, tying up. We we figured he'd probably just ballpark, you know, 150 grand or more than that <laughs> sitting out there. Could you use 150,000 in cash right now? Damn right. Yeah, Okay. absolutely. So that's just one. Let's go look at labor. Let's say labor's, I'll probably have these flipped, but let's say out of that 50%, labor is 15%. Yeah. What can you do about labor? Well. How about you cut the coffee shop out? How about the guys leave the office, AIS, as my wife says, ass in seat, 7 (laughs) o'clock? How about they know where they're going? How about they have the material and the equipment that they need? How about the trucks are full of fuel? Mm -hmm. How about there's no stopping at the 7-Eleven and having six guys in there drinking coffee? And it doesn't even, I mean, this gets into almost the lean mentality, the two-second lean. It doesn't have to be, If that's a great book by Paul Akers if you haven't checked it out. Um, But... If you can just find the small things, it's not about reinventing this new entire system that's going to revolutionize how much money you spend on labor, on materials, or whatever it is. Just the small fixes. Like uh, we had Will Blake on here. And he talked about, yeah, we realized that the first place that everybody went to was the 7-Eleven. So we just basically brought the 7-Eleven into the shop. Yeah. You've literally, when you leave, you can take as many snacks or whatever you want. And it's on the honor system. And... I mean, that just saves so much time for and the that, employees. that's so clever, too, because first instinct is, I'm going to kill those guys. Exactly. And he did the opposite. No. And then the, the guy's like, man, this is great. I love that. Yeah. You know? Or they're like, man, I really enjoyed those 7-Eleven breaks where I didn't have yeah, to work. Yeah, well, <laughs> I had a company years ago, and, and the uh, owner's daughter was really cute. Yeah. And it was close to our office when I'd drive off. The guys would be in there buying parts and stuff, drinking coffee and kind of snicking up, you know, and yeah. telling their best jokes. Get out of here! <laughs> but that was a good marketing move on the on the owner's part. Put yeah. his daughter in there. There so. you go. Okay, so what are some things that we're when we do know the score? When we've got all of these categorizations, we know where we can become efficient. We know what our gross profit margin is. What are there some things that that allows us that that allows us to do when we have a good P and L? What are the uses that we can have? Some just examples. We've already covered some of them, but what are some other ones? Well, I mean. We are we are talking about them. We can look at fixed costs. Uh, people talk about their overhead being too high, mm-hmm. and it and it surely might be. Sure, but I am less concerned generally with overhead. I mean, don't do stupid stuff. Sure, don't buy stuff because you're trying to save on taxes and you don't have any cash and all that. But I don't spend as much time on overhead as a general rule because overheads one x per month, mm-hmm. one time per month. So if you save a thousand bucks, you save a thousand bucks. But if you 
go up to the variable costs and you save $1,000 per job and you do five jobs, you save 5000 If you do six jobs next month, you save 6000 If right. you do 10, you save 10000 So I'm usually more interested in the, gross profit. In the variable, variable costs and getting yeah. margins up. And that's why I say it's the most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, other uses of the, the profit loss statement, of course, are these are down the road a ways for you, but um, it allows you to do planning, uh, your bank, anybody's going to want to see that. Mm-hmm. You had so many people don't take a salary, which by the way, if you're not taking a salary, you need to take a salary. And there are a couple of reasons for that. But um, they don't take a salary, then they want to go buy a house, yeah. or they want to go buy a building, and they take their financial statements <laughs> as in whatever form they are to their bank. The bank said, we didn't make any money. You made twelve hundred dollars last yeah, year. Yeah, you made twelve hundred. Well, I took a lot of draws. Well, draws don't count the same. And then, by the way, wink, wink. You know, I really made a lot more money than that. Wink, wink. You know, yeah. you know what I mean. Wink, wink. Winks don't and go too far. And the bankers sitting there going, number one, they're thinking this. Okay, I'm dealing with a crook. Right. Exactly. Uh, crook's a hard word, but they're going. Oh, I'm dealing with a sly fox here. I like them, but you know they're. And then I don't have any evidence. How am I going to take that to loan committee? Yeah. So. Understanding where you stand, and one of, one of the other things is a, an accurate profit loss might show you that you're losing money because you got those 25% margins, not the 40% margins. And it's not possible with the size of your operation to do enough work at 25% margins to pay your overhead. You just can't do it. Let's yeah. say it comes up, I got to do 500000 a month. I can't do that. Right. So I have to get my margins up. And when you, which is a function of two things, one, raising your prices, Mm -hmm. and the other, becoming more efficient, not buying so much stupid uh, inventory and controlling your costs. But I have to get my margins up. Well, if you know that you are dying, matter of fact, not just think you're dying, but you know that you're dying, then you go do something about it. And that that will hit you if it hasn't hit you yet. It will hit you. Most people... uh, it goes into the purpose of business, which we talked about way long time ago. Not most, but a great number of contractors bid to get the sale. <laughs> and I hear things like, well, I got to keep the guys busy. Got to hold my crew together. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, if I get that job, I'll find a way to keep some of the money. Or they're going to give me a deposit and I really need the cash today. And so they bid jobs to get them. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean they bid them cheap. Yeah. Or they bid them without understanding their costs at all, which... Uh, we'll do a deep dive on bidding with intent here. Uh, so they're out there just perpetually going on. After a period of time, it might be one year, might be two years of chasing cash all the time, uh, having bankers on your tail, uh, have, being left behind on payroll. You know, yeah. nothing worse than being a quarter behind on payroll deposits because you're going to pay that. You are. You're going to pay that out of your hide over the next years, even if you take bankruptcy. So those kind of things stress you out, distract you. They lead to bad decisions on the next bid because you got to get enough to make the payroll deposit, but now you're falling behind on Anyway, there reaches a point where you go, I'm sick and tired of this, and yeah. I'm not going to do it anymore. I love building stuff. I love welding stuff. I love making stuff. All this other stuff is driving me crazy, and I'm not going to do it anymore. That's where... As Jim Rohn says, disgust has a negative connotation, but it's a very powerful and very useful word. Yeah. When you're disgusted, say, okay, what can I do? Well, the first thing you do 
is you get your books under control so that you know where you stand. And then as you become better and better at it, your books will clearly show you what you need to do. Absolutely. I think uh, this is a great thing that we should link, Ethan, the, uh, the price increase calculator mm-hmm. and the discount calculator for that matter, just because it's going to help you understand some of these things a lot better too. Yeah, that's. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, break even, as I mentioned it, Everybody kind of understands break even on overhead, right? Mm-hmm. So I got to sell enough to break even. I'm not making profit, not loss. And then we talked about a break even on overhead plus your debt service. Right. I've covered it or I'm not. Overhead plus debt service plus a profit. Uh, those are all break evens. Break even is immensely useful. Yeah. Um, it's powerful. You can decide whether or not to hire a sales person or how much that person has to sell. Mm-hmm. You can decide commission versus flat rate. You can decide whether or not a machine pays for itself. It gives you a rational basis for all those things. But you have to understand that break-even as a tool can inform so many things. So back to the two that you just brought up. It's not obvious why, so I don't, we don't really have to go in why, but break-even informs two other really important things. One is the damaging effect of discounts. Yep. And we'll put the uh, calculator link. I've got a, a link on this. But one of the numbers I know, if you discount your prices 20% and you have a 35% margin, your sales have to double plus a third more. They have to go up 133% for your net profit, for your gross profit to stay the same. Okay, <laughs> It's so crazy, man. I mean, people, literally contractors are like, I need work, I need work, and they start discounting things. Right. They do it just to get the sale, and that's the worst thing they can be doing. Right. It, it's they're, just they're running their business into the let's ground. Let's make sure people heard that. If you have a 35% margin, and of course you may not know what your margin is, so that's another reason you have to have it, so you can use these tables. If you have a 35% margin and you do a 20% discount, your sales have to double and a third more for your profit to remain the same. It's, it's like if you had three jobs and you discounted by 20%, now you have to do six jobs just yes. for it to make, or no, four, not, seven. Yeah, seven. Seven jobs yeah. just for it to make the yeah. same. Which is it's actually, yeah, seven is a lot of work to do. Yeah, are you crazy? Did you know that? You know, there's there are other ways, which leads us segue into marketing, which we're not doing right now. But yeah. there are other ways to provide a reason for people to buy from you other than price. Absolutely. Okay? So that's the discount side, the price increase side, and I have this one memorized too because just talk about it all the time. But if you have thirty five percent margins and you raise your prices ten percent. People are scared to do that because they're going to lose business. Well, you can lose 22% of your business before it affects your profit. So you raise your prices 10%, you're going to lose a quarter of your business and make the same money. Well, what in my experience has happened is you don't lose a quarter of your business. Yeah. Most people don't lose any. Exactly. They but might if lose you did, or something like you'd be that. making the same money and working 22% less, have 22% that's where your efficiencies really come in. Yeah, and so that's the reason that that those two calculators are out there is to give people a warning against discounting and confidence to go out and raise their prices. But to be able to use these calculators, to be able to do these, you know, analytics and look at the details, you have to have good books. Right. And so that you can look at your profit and loss statement to be able to even use these calculators. Because if you go and you use these calculators and you just start guessing, yeah, sure, you're going to get some numbers that aren't real, <laughs> you know, it, that's, they're not true. So use the real numbers off of your profit right. and loss statement. Um, 
I think a, a really good thing to also note here with your profit and loss statement is people do like to compare month to month how they do. And for a lot of contractors, that is may not be a good idea or may not be the most realistic thing to do. A better thing than looking just month to month is look quarter to quarter, but also understand the seasonality of your business. Know that, oh yeah, December's you know Christmas, we just got off of Thanksgiving, jobs aren't really going, it's cold weather. So yeah, your revenue's down. Know the seasonality of your business and compare actually quarter to quarter of the previous year. So 2019 to 2020, quarter one or you know March 2020 to March 2019 and look at how you're improving there that's gonna help you make some better decisions with the seasonality of your business as well don't just go month to month or quarter to quarter only obviously you can look at it that way but really the profit and loss is is based on periods of time it can be all time which you probably don't look at that often but usually you're either looking at the month the quarter of the year will do comparisons inside of that and it'll help you to see where your efficiencies are, where your inefficiencies are. Yeah, I neglected to say that early on. Uh, a profit loss is a period statement. Mm -hmm. So it always compares uh, income versus expense between two days. Right. First of the month, end of the month, first quarter, end of the quarter. Uh, that's different than the balance sheet, uh, which right. we'll talk which about is... later, but I did need to say that it's a period statement. Yeah. And so you can take a chunk, you can take a month and just look at that or you can look at since your business began. Yeah, absolutely. But you're, you're right. It's immensely useful to see the trends, mm -hmm. what's going on. and um, People, it sneaks up on a lot of times. Mm -hmm. You've been in business 10 years. You're not running even remotely the same business you were before. <laughs> uh, you're probably working your tail off. And it's come up this week twice with clients. They need help, mm -hmm. but they're not certain. One, one person, uh, we're working to get their books straight right now. And one of the main reasons is they want to know if they can afford to hire help. <laughs> kind of my answer to them is you need to hire them anyway. We already know that. Yeah. But, okay, you know, you want to know where it's coming from. If you add help, that adds to your fixed cost if it's that kind of help. And so it raises your break even. So if you had somebody $5,000 a month and you had 50% margins, that raises 5000 divided by 0.5 means 10000 You have to sell 10000 a month to pay for that person. Yeah. There are similar decisions on everything. Yeah. Well, I think that this is really helpful for people to understand the value of the profit and loss. Obviously, for any of these statements that we're gonna be covering in this series, you definitely need to have good books for this to matter. So that's not gonna be our one thing because that's the overview is, hey, go get good books, figure that out. But for the profit and loss, our one thing, in my opinion, should be go and look at the numbers and use those calculators. Look at the yeah. break-even calculator, right. discount the, the calculator. One thing right before that is, uh, to spread to separate your fixed and variable costs. Sure. Most of sometimes I'll see sales cost of goods sold, which is materials, right. and then everything else is below, <laughs> uh, like subcontractors and, right. and uh, guys who work only work get paid when they're on jobs. They're all down below as overhead. They're not. They're overhead. not overhead. Can't well, do good the books, calculations. Good books is going to include that, right? right. right. So right. if they have all those things, go and look at the numbers. Start comparing periods, right? Well, one. This is one of the things to spot in your accountant or bookkeeper who's setting it up. Do they understand that? <laughs> because accountants are really smart people. I love most of them. Yeah. Uh, but they come in different flavors, and they they aren't most of them managing businesses, and they don't arrange. Yeah, books go find or a, think that way. Go find they a cost accountant. You have to find a cost accountant, not a or tax manager accountant. Account. Yeah. And literally, shameless plug again, guys, go go read my book, and. 
about my book, I wish I'd said it in exactly these words in the beginning, but don't worry about it. Just read it. And if you get hung up, how do you get that? Or how do you, don't worry about it. Yeah. Just read it. Just be aware that it, they can do all these things. Mm -hmm. And then in my book, it talks about how to hire the right accountant. It gives the questions. It gives you questions to ask them and the answers you need to hear back from them. Mm -hmm. And then if you find somebody who answers all those things right, there you go. There you go. But it's a hard task um, to yeah. find the right accountant. And a plug also for, for Lori. She was on our podcast. Right. We'll, we've got a link to her in the show notes as well. She's my go-to. And she does a great job. So Zeal Accounting uh, is the name of her. I think it's zealaccounting.com. That's the Lori Yearwood episode. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, yeah, look at your profit and loss, compare it to different periods, and then go and... Plug in those numbers and find your inefficiencies. Find your efficiencies and what you're doing well. Think about increasing your prices. Look at the damages that you've been making on your business with the discounts you've been making. Find your break-even. Look at your profit margin, how you can increase it. Start to look through your profit and loss and see ways that you can increase or improve, sorry, by 1%, those two-second liens uh, for, your, for your business. So. Yeah, my one take everything you just said but if this were a class and I were giving assignments and you were coming back next week, I'd say, come back in here and tell me exactly how much you have to sell to break even in a month. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just figure that out. And uh, when I do do that, I typically get inaccurate answers. <laughs> but it, it's begin, trying to come up with that will begin to, to teach you the behavior of costs and how it really works. Because... That's not theoretical stuff, guys. No. You have to pay everybody else first. Mm -hmm. You can't go say, oh, I made a $20,000 profit this month, $200,000 profit this month, but sorry, Mr. Employee. <laughs> I I had to make my profit, so I didn't have anything left over to pay you. Uh-uh. Doesn't work that way. Mr. IRS, don't have enough left over to pay you and <laughs> still make a profit. Uh, I'll pay you later. They said, well, you know, we'll, we'll just take your house now. Yeah. Right? Get you into real trouble. Yeah. Well, I um, hope that this episode has allowed people to have less stress, more time and more money, or at least a path to those things. We'll be covering the balance sheet in our next episode in this series, and then we'll go on to the statement of cash flows. Yep. Sounds great. Awesome. Be well, fun. appreciate you guys watching. Thanks for tuning in. Go and follow us on social media. Share us with your friends. Um, and yeah, subscribe to us on YouTube now. Uh, right. Excited to have these videos out there. Or contact me with questions. Yeah, contact us with I'd questions. Because I'd be happy to answer. I'm serious about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Martin. Hey, I'll stay right on. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.